I'm Philip. And I'm Ben. And this is Real Journeys, where we use films as works of art to draw out themes that may inspire our own spiritual journeys. We're not here to review the movie. We're assuming you've already seen it. Today's topics include community, migrants, and defending the defenseless. From the City of Angels, this is Real Journeys. People come in for just a little while, and the connections are real and they're intense, and then they're gone. Oh yeah. And that's that's painful. And in a sense, this has broken them maybe in ways that they weren't broken before. Today's movie, the 2014 documentary by Jesse Moss, entitled The Overnighters. So just a quick refresher, here's a synopsis of the film. As Americans from all over the country make their way to North Dakota dreaming of jobs in the booming oil industry, small towns like Williston begin to feel the stress of managing a flood of newcomers. Jay Renke, the pastor of a Lutheran church in the city, chooses to give housing to these job chasers, even to a point where it affects his church, his family, and his career. With surprising repercussions for his actions, Jay is forced out of ministry and finds himself in the same predicament he tried to help others through. So why we chose the film, this was on Philip's list. Yeah, and a recent discovery, because I, after coming off our first six episodes, I wanted to do a different genre and we hadn't touched a documentary yet. So I was just searching for well-rated documentaries and the themes seen in the previews seemed great and it had a super high Rotten Tomatoes score. So I said, why not try it? Yeah. Um, hopefully it might inspire others to pick it up. We usually like to do popular films. Yeah, I had never heard of it and you'd forwarded me the link you texted it to me, and I remember watching the trailer thinking, huh, it'll be interesting to see how they paint Christianity in this film as it is a pastor, but I thought it was one that would be interesting to talk through. We watched it last week. Any immediate reactions? I think we both had immediate reactions. Yeah, I, the film emotionally and mentally was exhausting to watch. I actually came home and went to bed at 9.30 that night. I was so tired. Yeah, It, it made me wonder where the fault lies and how this could have been done differently. Yeah. Uh, who was to blame for the way that the outcome of this all happened? And was there a way to avoid it? Could this have gone in a utopian state somehow, but it just failed miserably. I don't know. Yeah, it's one of those great documentaries that shows how, although it was uh, one-sided in that we're only hearing the pastor's story, Yeah, it still showed different sides not really being able to come to one happy conclusion, Yeah, which most of us like to watch movies that come to happy conclusions. So by the end of this one, you're just sort of sitting there in a somber kind of thought-provoking mood. Yeah. And there's just a whole mixture of emotions. I wouldn't want to just say sad, but it was kind of a downer. Yeah. But at the same time, really, really well-made movie. Mm -hmm. It did leave me with like wanting to know other sides of the story here. You know, what else was going on in the community? Because you're only seeing it through yeah. this one filmmaker's lens. Yeah. I think he did a fantastic job, but there's probably a whole lot more to know about this specific um, point in time. Yeah. Agreed. First topic, community. I hate to take the role of the antagonist, but I think somebody needs to turn some rocks over and say, so what is community in this place? What are we going to do here? Should we define community? What do you define community to be? 
Um, I'd say it's a, a group of people with some kind of similarity. That's a pretty high level, but I don't think community just necessarily means geographical okay. because there's clearly uh, clubs or, you know, religious groups, uh, you name it, societies that do glom together past the borders of geography to form just a bond because they're sharing something in common. That's exactly what I would have said, like some sort of a bond between a group of people because a community, you can be part of many communities. It's interesting because we have like a community and neighbors. And I think your community can be their geographical location that you live in. You bond with the people that are around you or some people don't. They don't get to know their neighbors, but yeah. some people do. But you're right, like a religious group or um, some sort of a society of people that come together for certain things. Um, that could definitely be a community of people as well. I don't understand how a community can just simply turn its back on people who have no place to sleep. I would just wonder, are we even a community? Was the town of Williston a community? It seems like there was a community that existed before this influx of migrants. Yeah. Were they still a community after? Or did this kind of anomaly the, disrupt the community? what a community is? Oh. Was it a forced larger community? Like, what would you call the population of Williston? Is it is it lose its community status because there was really like these two very opposing sides of um, how to handle the migrant workers? Yeah, uh, I looked up the town. I was just curious, like the population size, and it was under twenty thousand people that live in this area in this community. That's a great question. I didn't grow up ever in a town. That small. Well, I was actually born in a town that small, but I was like three when we left. So I don't really have a sense of what it was like living there. But I would say even with less than 20,000 people, I don't know if you could say there was one community. Like I'm sure if there was a natural disaster, people would help each other out regardless of which area of the city they lived in or town or whatever. But I don't know if a group that size can really, I mean, I guess it depends on like how close of a bond we would consider it before it's a community. Like, is it that people are in interaction with each other daily or weekly or monthly? Um, is 18,000 or 20,000 people, is that enough where everybody sort of knows most of the people in the town? Is that possible? Uh, I wonder how many high schools they have versus, uh, I'm sure the sense of community was probably stronger before the migrants came. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking like living in this area of the city that I do, we're sort of a weird place in Los Angeles because we're cut off by all the mountain ranges. And so we're our own little valley. No one in LA talks to each other though. You're you're among friends. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say in this area, people do talk to each other. That's oh, yeah? sort of the weird thing. And so you get to know people. You start to like, it's kind of a pain to get anywhere because we're kind of the secluded little area of LA. And so you end up getting to know the people at the grocery store and in the areas here. So we kind of act like a small town, but there's like 60,000 people in this area. So you don't see them frequently, but you see people here and there enough that you remember them the next time you see mm -hmm. them like, oh yeah, I remember. So is that a community of neighbors? Yeah, that's a good question. Probably. It's not like there's much that's bonding us except for the fact that we all go to Albertsons to get our groceries or we all go to whatever the same McDonald's or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. So I guess that does bond us because we're in this neighborhood. But does that make me feel like this is a community? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I would think it has to be a little stronger than that. And is that important? That sense so. of community? Why? I 
I think we all want. I think even introverts need a sense of community at some point. Like I think we all need to bond with other people. Maybe we don't need it all the time. Like I think mm-hmm. if you look at an introvert versus an extrovert, like an extrovert is somebody who energizes being around people, whereas an introvert energizes being alone, right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like even introverts do need to have some sort of a bond with people that they like to interact, whether that's at work or if they are involved in some sort of a hobby of some sort or a religious group of some sort. Yeah, I think everybody needs some sort of community. Agreed. But is there any importance to the geographic closeness of having a community of our neighbors? Oh, um, I think so. Like if there is a disaster, it's good to check in with the people that are around you. I'm just thinking like with earthquakes in California or um, a lot of people that when they have hurricanes in Florida, they check on each other and stuff. So I think you do need to have that sense of community. But um, I don't know if it's like a strong one. Like we know our neighbors and we have done functions in our backyards with each other, invited each other over for dinner and stuff. And I don't know if that's common in Los Angeles. I think that's a bit of a rarity based on the people that are in this immediate area. Yeah, definitely. In my experience, it goes neighborhood by neighborhood. Yeah. I don't want to belabor like the definitions, but I feel like we might have to define neighbor as well because- it's going to get important as we discuss this town and whether these, you know, outsiders, the overnighters are our neighbors and how they could have been accepted into the community. Mm-hmm. What could they have? What could the community have done better? Okay. What would you consider a neighbor? Is it about geography? No. So this I will actually reference the Bible because it's one of my favorite passages where Christ talks about loving thy neighbor. And then somebody asks him, well, who's my neighbor? And the context behind that question are these religious right priests, and they want to hear that their neighbors are like fellow Jews that live in that community. Mm -hmm. And Jesus sort of shocks them and says, well, anybody is your neighbor. And I would agree with that. I think anybody is a neighbor. I don't think there is a geographical boundary to it. Like, I consider the houses that are around me, those are my neighbors, but I also consider the people at work my neighbors and the people that I am in line at Starbucks my neighbors because I should be loving everybody. So you're applying that that responsibility to the word. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. To be human is to serve and to let the neighbor change your life. A lot of people in this town weren't open to having new neighbors. Yeah. What, what was that all about? Yeah, I don't know. I think... Um, Remember how we were talking about how when you aren't exposed to something, it's something that you were bringing up that like if you don't have a lot of exposure to something, it can be scary or frightening. And it's having that exposure that helps. And I think when you have a town like Williston that probably previously was a very quiet town, nobody knew about it and people did what they did and they liked their life. And now you have this flood of newcomers that are coming in and all of this industry that's moving in and tearing up their environment. I think for them, it's hard to see that change. And it's hard to see, especially if they had like this rock solid quote unquote community community beforehand and they were tight knit and small. Yeah. But yeah, exposure is everything. I think at some point the pastor even tries to put together some sort of event or says, hey, we should get the community to come actually meet these people because if they met them, they won't seem so scary. Yeah. And how many times in our lives do we meet people over like email or phone or messaging and we're just a bad experience, right? And, yeah. and we're like, oh, I can't stand that person. And yeah. then you meet them in person and you're like, oh, 
it's a regular person just like me and um, or like they mean well at heart i mean that happens to me all the time yeah or even just like contacting support for something <laughs> or like you <laughs> calling call the, it or you call the bank to get like something and you know it's so easy over the phone and through electronics to have like this electronic courage where you don't feel like you have to be your best self and try to love and respect people and you're just so quick to snap at people and be like well i shouldn't have this charge on my account and you need to take it off or whatever you know like it's a it's a lot easier to get rude and upset when you're doing something over a device yeah. rather than when you're standing face to face so if these neighbors from the outside are coming in and disrupting well, wait wait what's your definition of a neighbor i gave you mine i think neighbors not in my regular vocabulary and mm -hmm. maybe i view that word or that term as a relationship like an individual relationship or one-to-one -one, which i can't handle very many of <laughs> But I do agree with your sentiment about we all need some sense of community. So I think, uh, you know, as an introvert, I gravitate more to that feeling of need, of wanting a community than I do wanting the individual like one on one relationships. So I don't have like this day to day feeling, you know, as much as I, I want to take care of all people, you know, across the world. Love thy neighbor to me is a little more interpersonal, which is also good. Yeah. Well, just different. Yeah. I think it's just different. But it's still the it's still following the command. Okay. So with these um, like outsider neighbors coming in to Williston and sort of disrupting the community, what is, if you're a member of this community or you're, you know, you live there, what is your bigger responsibility, your dedication to the community or your obligation to love thy neighbor? I think it's integra I think it's, I think it's integrating those that are coming in into your neighborhood or into your, into community. your community. And then if that's the case, how could they have done it better? Yeah, that's because they the big certainly question. didn't do any sort of integration. No, of course not. Well, I think a lot of it was these people just kept coming and coming and coming. Mm -hmm. And I think somebody in the film said something about they all think they're coming here for jobs and these jobs don't all exist. Like mm -hmm. they've already been taken and whatever else. And these people just keep showing up because somebody says, hey, go to North Dakota. They've got an oil boom. They need people. Yeah. And I don't think any of them were prepared for what's happening. And I don't know. Like, I don't know what the answer is. I think... They had a city council and the city council became reactive rather than proactive with mm -hmm. everything that they were doing. And clearly they couldn't be building houses fast enough. Who knows how long the oil boom is going to last? And if they build a whole bunch of housing for these people, even if it's temporary, what happens if the oil boom ends and all these people leave because there's no more jobs there? Yeah. Now they've got another problem on the horizon. So again, we're calling these strangers, the overnighters. The overnighters. We're calling these overnighters neighbors. At one point, let's just take one of them as an individual. At what point do they become part of the community? What's the definition hmm. there of then being assimilated? Yeah. Does it have to be like this group consensus or can it take one guy like the pastor to say, you know, you're welcome here? He, he tried yeah. to bridge the gap into becoming na neighbor into like the community and it just seemed to meet resistance over and over. I don't know. I don't want to judge the town of Williston, but I would imagine they would feel somebody is part of the community when they've established themselves in a home like they are permanently going to be here. I would think then they feel like, oh, these people purchased a home and they've moved into it and now they're part of our community. Whereas these people who are sleeping overnight at a church, yeah. are they going to stay? Are they worth the investment? Because jumping through the movie, a lot of those people left. Yeah. 
and they were only there for a certain amount of time. It's kind of like apartment living. Like, do you remember living in apartments? You didn't really have a huge sense of community with the people in your apartment building because people left all the time. Like, it's you don't have the same. And even like on our street, some of the houses that are rented, those are the people that don't really invest as much as the homeowners. Mm-hmm. The homeowners invest in each other because it's like, oh, if you've purchased the home, you're not going to leave in a year when your lease is up or a couple of years when your lease is up and your rent goes up and you don't want to live there anymore. Yeah. Not to judge or like shine the light on Williston. I think just in general, people who who settle in a community, they probably feel more like neighbors than people who arrive and you don't know what their intentions are. Their intentions are to stay and to make a life. But like a lot of those people were like, oh, yeah, I'm here to work so I can make a lot of money and send it home. So even that statement, Williston is not home for them then. Right. Like they're thinking another place is home, not Williston. Almost implies they may never become part of the community. They don't look at this as their home but or their community. Should the town have treated them differently as neighbors? Yeah. I, I mean, I think there should still be a common love for the people. I think it'd be interesting to know if this was the only church that opened their doors to them or if there were other establishments that that housed people. I mean, clearly there were RV parks. They did show that like RV parks were open, but they were full with other people who had already taken up space there. So I, I wonder, like, were they the only church that was willing to do this or were there a few churches and maybe some of the other churches had a better connection or why didn't this pastor reach out to other churches? churches and say, hey, let's help solve this problem before before it gets to be a really big issue. If we can all work together as churches or whatever, community centers and whatever they may have in in Williston, I don't know. But if they could have all worked together to figure out a strategy of like, okay, we have all these people coming, let's house this many here and this many here and this many here, and let's put a program together for this. Maybe that could have helped solve the problem, but you have to have the willingness of more than just this pastor to do it. Yeah. These, the overnighters came from different walks of life, many facing low points or at least major inflection points in their life. It's a very broken world. Everybody's broken. The hard part is that nobody's good at loving, but we have to do it anyway. You know, broken people need love. Do you agree with that? Yeah. We all broken? I think so. So how come the Williston community can't see that in themselves and relate? Well, we again, we can't judge to say that they haven't, and maybe a lot of them have. Do, is there a point where enough is enough, where they feel they've taken in everybody that they possibly can care for or uh, find a place for within the community? Like, how do you expand a town like that? And so I think it's kind of, I don't know if I want to pass judgment on them that like they weren't loving and that they weren't looking at the fact that they're broken and need to help these broken people. I'm guessing it was more of a frustration that there was no real plan in place and they didn't know how to handle all of the influx of people coming into their area. Yeah, But if we could only find a way to let people meet the overnighters, it would change us. Fear of the unknown would be gone and we would become a community. I would have to attend a service and get to know the people there and understand it. But when when you're a pastor that really has a heart for the community and your church is just sort of happy 
it's very easy for churches to become clicky and they form groups inside. So going back to community, it's very easy to find like five or six other people or whatever or couples in the church that you feel like you connect with and you build the sense of community with them. Mm-hmm. And then to like invite new people into that can sometimes be tricky because they don't have the same bond that the other couples do or whatever else. And so Makes it gets sense. it gets a little bit hard to bring in new people. And so when you have a church in a small town like that, where maybe these churches have been go or these people have been going to this church for generations, like they've it's just like they grew up in that church and they had their kids in that church and now their kids have grown up and their kids have gotten married and now have brought like have had families that are now at the church. It very much becomes like a family. And when you start seeing a whole bunch of people that have come from all sorts of different backgrounds and maybe weren't raised in church or have a different sense of it and stuff, that starts to get a little bit overwhelming and it gets a little bit harder for them to integrate into the service or into the community, into the into the church, into the family. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is funny because it's exactly the opposite of what we're instructed. <laughs> in the church itself <laughs> is that we should be welcoming and love everybody that comes in and I see both sides of it. Like I understand, I remember being at a church where like it really did feel like a good community of people and we felt like a family. And it was a little bit harder when new people came because it was sort of like, oh, well, now we either have to like trust them with like what we've already established or are they going to stay and how do they integrate and, you know, whatever. And so I can, I feel that. What are they going to bring to the potluck? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe an apple crisp. Nope, they're not welcome. <laughs> I, we are bringing the apple But then at the same time, now Melanie and I are on the other side of that where we've been looking for a church. And now we think we found one. And it's going to be interesting to see now over the next few months, like how do we integrate with people at this church? And, sure. and are we welcomed into it? And Or do you end up like? slightly changing the dynamics yeah. of their community? Yes. So we, we've defined community. We've defined neighbors. There's obviously a biblical obligation to love thy neighbor. Yeah. Are there any, do you feel any like spiritual or inner obligations to community? Yeah, I would say so. What are your obligations? Is the obligation just to be a positive member? Is it just, well, to be loving, generic do gooder? Well, is it trying to contrast it with, your neighbor. The, yeah, loving everyone. Like what, what about the community? Like, I think it's the same thing. But I think with the community, because you're a little bit more integrated with the people, there comes times where there needs to be correction within a community, which often doesn't feel like love, but it actually is. And it depends on how people take it. Yeah. And once you're in a community, there's more feelings and emotions that go into it because now you've bonded in a way where things can hurt and things can get a lot messier. If we all just were status quo, love thy neighbor, and didn't form bonds closer with those people, that would be a lot easier than when it starts to get messy because relationships get messy and community can start to get pretty messy. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what they're highlighting big time in this film is hey, we didn't just love these neighbors from afar like, oh yeah, we've got a trailer park for you off you know, off Highway 8 or whatever. They're welcoming, welcoming them into their community. And now it's causing this disruption and people don't know how to handle it. And it starts to get really messy. And this pastor is on the hook for it because he's the one that's invited them in, even though the church may have thought it was a good idea. And they probably voted on it and said, yeah, you know, like, let's do this. Like, let's be the church that welcomes these people into this community and helps them integrate. But they probably didn't understand the magnitude and the types of issues that were going to come from this. Yeah, I honestly feel like the whole church 
had a good intention when they started this. Clearly, they had a ministry. They called it the Overnighters. And I think there were probably a lot of people that were helping out at first and like taking care of the people as they were coming in. And they wanted to show that they were loving and bringing people in. But I think as it grew, maybe what was the problem is the pastor let it grow too big. And certainly with just no end in sight, right? Exactly. Um, I don't know how long that went on. But yeah, yeah, when you don't have answers about what the future is going to look like, that can become unsettling, I suppose. And now, what do you do when you close off the ministry? If you live there, you're still... If you're closing off that ministry, you're almost putting your community ahead of your obligation to love thy neighbor, aren't you? Yeah. Do you think that's common that we have these contradictions or is it just? I think as human beings, it's just messy everywhere. Like I think there's so many good intentions out there that just go awry in a lot of ways. And I think this is just an example of one of them. And I think that's why this film was done so well, because you can see the intention really was good. But without the proper organization and without the proper leadership, it can really take a turn for the worse. And you see these guys becoming really ungrateful and getting very upset and even betraying the hand that fed them in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Let's continue talking about community and neighbors in reference to migrants specifically. Yeah. You would think the city as a whole would be trying to help people that's trying to help themselves. They're just like, you're in a swim pool and they're trying to put put their foot on top of your head and drown you, you know, just get, get them on out of here, you know, they don't deserve a chance. Everyone deserves a chance. This is America. That's what this country was founded on, you know, helping your neighbor, you know, just, just being good people. And, and Wilson's not sending that message when they're basically saying, you know, we're, we're homeless. I'm not homeless. I'm just struggling. I have a home in Kentucky. I just want a better life. I don't know what else to do. Migrants. Migrants was a big thing for you for some reason. Uh, you, you brought it up right away at the end of the, the movie. What, what was it about the whole migrant culture that really grabbed you? So I think because this is a pretty big topic within the United States, but when we think of migrants, we're often thinking about what we see on TV, which is people moving from other countries outside of the U.S., mainly Latin American countries, and forcing their way into the U.S., whether they cross the border illegally or uh, they come in as refugees or whatever it may be. Can or they just they come in legally like most of them do. But yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. My general feeling is I actually probably go against a lot of like more conservatives and conservative Christians because I wouldn't say it's just Christians that have this issue. I think it's just conservatives in general. I don't like the idea of building a wall or whatever to keep people out. Love thy neighbor. Well, I know, but they feel they, well, they also want to love thy neighbor by protecting the neighbors that are within their community, right? They feel like they are loving thy neighbor, which is the people within their own community, by keeping them safe from people that may come in to do harm. And this, again, I think goes to the whole exposure question. We aren't exposed to a lot of people that are coming in in these situations. They're not hanging around at the border, like interviewing these people. What I think is interesting now to go back to the film is I see an example of people that are within our country right now that are moving, that are migrating into a town within our country, Mm -hmm. and they are being rejected the same way Mm -hmm. that people from another country trying to get into our country are rejected. Like, I don't think there's no different, really. That's exactly my point. Yeah, it's, it's people being scared of what they don't know. Right. So is Williston now going to build a wall 
around their city so that some of them would probably would have voted to do it right <laughs> but that's what i'm saying like to me it's interesting to see even within our own country there are areas that get to a point now does everybody in williston want these migrants to go away probably not because again right. a lot of them have probably established a life there now they've moved with their families they got good jobs they have a home their kids are going to the schools you know they're buying and they're helping stimulating the local economy mm-hmm. and it's all a good thing just like a lot of people that come into the united states in legal ways and come and they they stir the economy. But it's some of these ones, some of the folks that come and that are staying at this church where maybe they're not as educated and they didn't really have a plan. They didn't have a job coming in. They were just hoping for that American dream by showing up at the town thinking, hey, if I just come, I'll get a job. Like They'll have to hire me. I'm a good person and I know how to do jobs well and whatever else. And I've just been down on my luck. They have a dream and they have a hope that they're chasing after and they come to this town in search of that. I just, I feel bad for these people on both sides. Like, I can understand where they're both coming from. Like, yeah, we want to be inviting and welcoming of people, but it's also hard at the same time to see some of the people coming in. And is this safe for our community? And is this healthy for our community? And can we manage this in our community is what they feel. But it goes back to loving thy neighbor. Like, that's what I keep coming back to is, are we loving our neighbor? Yeah, I think you've established, though, that the the definition of neighbor for many Americans does not line up with, with your mine. definition. It's possible. Yeah. Especially people who aren't necessarily Christians or don't like study the Bible or whatever. Clearly, they're not hearing Christ's definition of the neighbor. And even the ones that do maybe aren't really paying attention to that or thinking about that. And they're thinking about the neighbors already in their community, not necessarily right. new people coming in from somewhere else. Right, right. It does amaze me that giving people floor space is provocative. Now, obviously, if these strangers were coming into your home and like invading your kind of personal space, that would be fairly intolerable for most of us. But them sleeping or getting floor space in this community space, why was that provocative? Hmm. Was it because it was their community church or was it because they were strangers They were migrants. Let me ask you a question off of that. Yeah. The men that were at the church, if they were being housed at your daughter's school, how would you feel about that? Would you be totally fine with that? Hmm. I guess I'd want to know the precautions being taken. Like during school hours, are those men gone? In the case of this film, this church had these people coming to, like, they would come to the services and stuff. Like, so they were integrating into the community. Right. So a school is a little bit different, but let's say they slept at your daughter's school. During the day, they did have to leave for a period of time. But some of them started- I knew they were sleeping on the floor of her classroom. But then maybe some of them- They weren't going to hang around during the school hours because that would obviously interrupt the education. Then I would- accept that well what if this what if a lot of those men were now you know filling in and doing like janitorial roles and uh were Uh, i think i would on because it's so close to home i would honestly feel compelled to go meet some of them okay and feel comfortable about it i guess the point that i want to make is the point is that i will feel on somewhat unease about it right well i'm just wondering if you would So my point is, 
it's really easy to see it play out in your t- in somebody else's town, but how does it look when it's in your yeah, town? Absolutely. If it was complete strangers, I didn't, and the school just made this decision, didn't include me in it, I would be completely uneasy about it at first, right? Okay. Yeah. I would want to be part of the community, and luckily we have a community-oriented school. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so maybe in that respect, I can relate to some of the folks in Williston. Maybe that wasn't their church. Maybe they didn't go to that church. You know, they don't want to have anything to do with that denomination or whatever. Yep. It just wasn't theirs, and they weren't part of that smaller church community. So all these strangers coming in and hanging around their town, and it was a, a large number of people for such a small yep. town, would definitely um, tick me off. <laughs> now, if there was a church across the street from your house. But again— but. It was, it would be, I would be ticked off because of ignorance of not knowing the full story of what's going on. Okay. That's probably part of it. And so if I was open, you know, if I opened my, my eyes, my heart and was able, like willing to learn about what was going on there. And maybe this was the pastor's problem in Williston. He tried hard, but he, he needed to have the community on board with all the decisions he was making. And maybe that didn't happen. You know, I, as part of the community, I would want to feel like I have a say too. It's very easy to to look at it and be able to judge a town or a, a group of people when it's not your problem. Yeah, and but so I, think I both of us watched this movie and felt both like sides. Like what would we do? I think we we felt compassion for both sides. Yeah. And that's what's so disturbing by the end but, is that neither side was necessarily wrong, but they just never found the right common ground that we would have hoped for. So don't you think that's the larger migration problem with people coming? Like that's, I guess, the compassion I would like to see you feel for people who are for the wall and are for it is, is it just we haven't come to the right common ground on it? Because that's my, that's where I'm sitting on mm-hmm. the migration issue is I feel both sides of the issue here. And I honestly, I'm not sure what the right answer is. I don't like the idea of building a wall. I, yeah, I don't I don't see two sides at all. I see ignorance and like but acceptance we, and love. But we just walked through it and you felt fine with... But building a wall, I mean, building a wall is saying, I want to take action before I have met any of these people, before I've opened my hearts to any of these people, before I have any understanding of the facts, right? They want to take action, hide behind a wall, not let other neighbors in, not expand their own community. That's the decision they're making. They're they're being closed off. That's the same thing that's probably happening in Williston too, right? Like clearly they're not going to come to a point where they're going to build a wall. Yeah, well, there's a reason they live in a town with 20,000 people because they want to live in a town with 20,000 people. They didn't want to live in a town with 35,000 people. So I get that. I relate to that. But But if you're living in Williston and you're voting for a wall to be built thousands of miles to your south, that's different. That's ignorance. It's just within the last like two to 300 years that we started drawing lines on the maps and saying, this is my territory and this is your territory. And that's like a newer thing. The way the U.S. formed was all people just migrating to different areas and finding different places to settle down and start life and hopeful that it's going to be better. So there's always been a pattern of migration. And so I've never felt like 
we should necessarily stop that. Should there be a little bit of control place there to make sure that we're, but then like when it comes down to economics, we absolutely need to be able to make sure that we can provide for our community and our citizens. Just because I've been ranting on the, the wall thing and how ignorant that is, doesn't mean that I don't believe there should be population increase gaps and uh, immigration quotas Absolutely get that, but that's more about economics. And my other suggestion, I I say this all the time, cut the hair. I'm serious. I think that I am serious, very serious. And that's not a requirement, but I got to tell you, appearance means something. What is the obligation? What obligation do we have, even as individuals, you and I, like what obligation do we have to fit into our communities? Yeah. Or like, what is American culture? Because if we're looking at this from a migrant's perspective, right? I don't expect people who come from southern states and move to California to drop their drawls and speak like a Californian. Like, I would never think that. I think the idea was, hey, look, you stick out like a sore thumb. Let's let's get the neighbors on our side by making you climatize a little bit to the people in this area. I know, but then there's like this line to some people, cutting your hair might not be a big deal. Right. To others, and we're just using this as an example, yep. to others, that act or that cutting the hair might be, maybe it's against their religion. Yeah. Maybe whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's very personal to them for some reason. So I just wonder like where that line is between, I, I do believe that you do need to give up some of yourself in order to fit into a community. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know how far do you go and what's the obligation? Because the other people have an obligation, too, to, to accept, accept you for who you are. And to maybe bring a new flavor into the community. And a lot of them, at least in this movie, weren't doing that. Yeah. They were so closed off. They weren't even in a... It wouldn't matter if he cut his hair anyway. You know, He was just an outsider. But if they, let's say, because a lot of those guys, they were a little bit rough around the edges, right? Mm-hmm. And they're moving into an area where maybe it was a lot more manicured. So if you have a bunch of people that are coming in that already have a fairly poor reputation, it probably wouldn't behoove them to try to change the perspective of the community they've moved into and being a little bit more respectful of the community they're being into. Now, does that mean cutting their hair? I don't know if cutting their hair had to be done, Mm -hmm. but at least like washing it (laughs) and maybe like brushing it would already be... I know, but that's one example and it still doesn't help me define that line. And I guess I struggle with this because I just don't know. And I'm sure this happens in little micro examples of this too like someone gets a new job yeah and they accept a new job at this corporate office and they're used to wearing a certain thing and then they're asked oh you know could you maybe change your outfit slightly um or i i was given that i was given that direction in our current company a number of years ago when i was working in a department i had a boss that said hey you know i know you like to wear jeans a lot could you just save that for Fridays and wear slacks during the course of the week? Yeah. Because everybody already looks down on this department as a lesser group within the rest of the organization. Mm -hmm. And so I want to change that perspective by showing we dress just as professionally as the rest of the organization. So I had to start wearing slacks Mm -hmm. four days a week. Now you could have been like, no way I didn't sign up for this. And I only wear jeans. That's my religion. Or like like the floor below me, everybody was wearing jeans. Yeah. Or you could give in a little. Yeah. But would you give in a lot? 
Well, I actually then, what that weekend, I went shopping and I bought a few pairs of slacks and a few dress shirts, button-up dress shirts that I could wear to, what to if work. What said, you can't come to work here anymore unless you're wearing a dress every day, which you've given it, that much. No, because it was a suggestion. It wasn't like a forced thing. Like yeah. somebody didn't force me and say, oh, there's I know. a strict. And I, I think, and that happens all the time. Right. right? But I don't think people the pastor... come in and they don't speak English that well. Right. And then it's suggested if you're going to fit in, you should speak our language. Yeah. But I don't know if that's necessarily wrong if it's not forced. I think if it's a suggestion, like I understood. And the way that the person said this to me, I felt was being respectful. Like, hey, you know, we want to change around. So I had no problems complying to it. And I felt the pastor was, you know, trying to maybe could have said it a little bit better. Like, hey, you know, we really because I kind of felt like he was being a little bit forceful, like you got to cut the hair. Like I felt Mm -hmm. like he sort of was forcing it a little bit upon these people. Sort of his character. Yeah. And I felt like had he just said, hey, you know, like, let's start with like washing it and, you know, making you look clean. That's Mm -hmm. just a basic hygienic thing. Like if these guys have come from places where they have not been taking care of themselves. Yeah, but I'm just wondering if you're going to your example, if you were asked to wear, you know, something that I somewhere somewhere between slacks and a dress. Yeah. Capris. You you know, (laughs) a suit and tie. Yeah. At one point, you would have to decide, like for yourself, I guess, whether it was worth the benefit of being accepted by that community. Yeah. Despite the fact that that community was not accepting you. Right. Now, what you were wearing before. I then moved into a different group where jeans was the norm. And, you know, that they didn't get anything done. (laughs) Well, but it was just a separate area and we were not around different groups or whatever else. And so it like I felt way overdressed being in slacks and a dress shirt. And so I started wearing jeans and regular shirts because I felt like I was way overdressed compared to most of the people in the group. And then I started having meetings with executives where I then again started to feel underdressed. And so it became like this weird like I don't know what to wear anymore. That's interesting because you're belonging to two different communities yeah. at the same time with mm-hmm. someone opposing. Yes. How many culture. of us how many of us go through that on a day-to-day basis? Right. And so I think probably a, a lot, right? And I would also think for migrants, this would be a pretty big thing. They just like all of us have to find a balance mm-hmm. between every community that we move in and out of throughout our day-to-day lives. I just wonder, does that kind of break down our individuality, though? If we're conforming to our community? We're constantly conforming, you know, maybe to our home life in the morning and neighborhood life as we go for a run. And then we have to conform to our work life and maybe uh, smaller co-workers. We have to conform to some standards at lunch and then we move into like evening we pick up the kids and we have to conform to the parents community Uh, and so we're constantly kind of flowing in and out of this and it sort of almost dilutes our opportunity to be individuals i don't know like when i came down from canada to go to college i didn't know at all that there was a difference between canadian and american culture And so when I moved down here, I didn't think I was going to need to do any, I didn't even think there would be culture shock because I was already in Canada and it felt like it was so American. But when I came down here, I began to realize there were a lot of big differences between the US and Canada. And there were words that I said that people didn't understand because they were Canadian, like it was Canadian lingo. Yeah. As a po- and I didn't even pick up on the fact that people here wouldn't even have known it 
And so I had to change. And also like a big thing in Canada at that time, everybody wore like jean shirts and and jeans. Like that was just like a standard attire. And when Sounds I came down so here, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but when I came down here, that was not a style. Like nobody in California. And so like I was like, I could stand out and wear the clothes that I was accustomed to wearing in northern Canada, but I live in Southern California now. So I'm probably going to have to make some adjustments to the way I do things. And I was okay with that. And I think it kind of comes down to a personal decision. Like, do you want, I stopped saying pop and started saying soda because I worked in a restaurant and I felt like people wouldn't have really under like, you know, if you're from this area, you call it soda. So that's fine. I can make a change like that. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't have a sense of pride. Like, nope, I'm from Canada. I stopped saying a at the end of a lot of the sentences (laughs) where it made sense in Canada because I got made fun of every time I did. And I started saying to change who you are and give up your culture. Well, I just felt the, it was easier. That's part of the fear of of some of the migrants. Yeah. Is that their culture will be diluted, right? There's just things that I just felt, you know what? I don't care. I don't think it's that big of a deal if I make a, an adjustment and I do things more the American way. I'm fine with that. And I feel like every migrant, whether they're within the country going to a different area, like if you've moved from Chicago to Los Angeles, like in your case, there's probably a few things that you've done differently now that you live in Los Angeles than how you lived in Chicago. Like there's probably some cultural nuances. Still pop. You you still say pop? (laughs) Uh, My wife would love that. You have to to say it around her at some point. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, there's probably things here or there that you've given up and you say more in the style of people from Los Angeles. And I think it's up to the individual person. Like, do I want to make these changes? And if not, that's their choice. It may be a little bit harder for them to fit in and they may struggle a little bit more. But if they want to keep their uniqueness, I think that is one thing that is somewhat great about the U.S. is that you kind of can keep your you you don't have to necessarily follow the rules i think in canada it's way more promoted that you stay within the culture that you've come from like they really like that a lot more up there and i kind of wish we had a little more of that too i think it's a shame that people have to bend so much just to make other people feel comfortable yeah or at least be understood a little bit more and appreciated for your culture did jesus have short hair jesus doesn't have our neighbors It really is like a mindset that, you know, like us for and no more, like people want their community to remain as it is. And it's not just in the United States. It's happening all over the world. Oh, yeah. Europe, big time. Yeah, it's it's a big problem in Europe. People are worried about the dilution of their cultures. Yeah. I think a lot of people are like they're used to their way of doing things and their community and their culture. And it is hard for that wall to break. Like, I think that is just a universal thing. Yeah. And I think we see that play out very quickly in this. They they have no intention of building yeah. anything here. Yeah. And so these people come and they, they rape, pillage, and burn, and then they leave. It's heartbreaking to me to see my plains, my prairies destroyed, the, the wildlife destroyed, our water destroyed. This is not my home anymore. I think that's the sentiment that a lot of these people feel is because these migrants have come into their areas now and are changing the dynamics of what they felt was already a very nice place to live. Yeah, and part of that I think is is you just get so comfortable in your own place and your own surroundings. Like I wonder how different 
her life would have been and how much I wonder if it would be like open her up. My ministry would be to pluck her out and plop her in a different country for like a couple months. Hmm. She probably lived her whole life there and and that's fine. And she was comfortable there and she loved the community she built. And she was finding fulfillment with what she had, but it was still pretty isolated. And there's so much more out there for her that she could be opened up to, right? Yeah, for sure. Finally, defending the defenseless. I'm kind of sympathetic with somebody who just can't defend themselves. Are there defenseless people? What makes them defenseless? And was that the appropriate term to use for the overnighters? I don't know if I would. Uh... Be- because I don't disagree with the sentiment that we should defend the defenseless. But I don't know that every overnighter just fit in that bucket just because they might have been down on their luck. That doesn't mean they're defenseless, right? I, yeah, I would agree. I don't know if they would be defenseless because of that, but they are vulnerable, I guess I would say. They have come from somewhere else to a place they don't know, and they're trying to make a living. And mm-hmm. so they have a lot less going for them. They don't have the structure and the stabilization that a lot of the people in that town do. And so it's a little harder for them to defend themselves and to fend for themselves because they don't have jobs and they're trying to establish themselves in a new community. Whether they're doing a good job of that or not, I mean, that you know, it's interesting because when we were watching the movie, we both were feeling hopeful for these people because we saw like some of them getting jobs. They were following certain people in the stories. Yep. And it's like, okay, you know, like they were down on their luck. They came here like the one guy. We got so I excited when the kid got promoted. promoted yeah. And, all that. and he had like a girlfriend and a baby and yep. stuff. And it was like, oh, you know, like, yes, this is working. See, and what was he really defenseless though? I mean, I hear you trying to. I don't disagree, but you're sort of blurring the line, and I don't know. Does it have to be a, a hard line, though? Maybe not, but... Isn't there somebody that I know that talks a lot about, like, a lot of gray being out there? <laughs> True, but I don't just... What's interesting, to me, defenseless is like, you give up. But a guy like that, or a lot of these guys, they, they had to actually proactively go seek out help. They were defending themselves in a way. They were seeking out a better life. Yeah. They were proactively trying to make their lives better. And so to me, that's not the same as uh, somebody who couldn't physically do that. Right. And, and, and the reason I'm harping on this is just because we will get into in a minute about examining the pastor's actions and whether they were more um, introspective and self-serving hmm. than they were more about what he stated they were. And that was he thought he was defending the defenseless. Okay. So do we have any kind of religious, spiritual, or moral obligation to help the defenseless? Does that relate to loving thy neighbor, or is that kind of just a separate task of ours? I personally think, yeah, I think we have a responsibility to helping those who can't help themselves. But Can, I, we, can we come up with an example of a defenseless yeah. person? Here? I think I can. So our neighbor, Celeste, she lives with her two sisters, and one is an invalid. And she has seizures all the time. Um, And she can't like carry a job anymore. She can't drive a car. She's pretty dependent on other people caring for her. Uh, And every so often, ambulances will go up and take her to the hospital because she has these seizures that are like life threatening and stuff. So I would say she's an example of somebody who's somewhat 
Yeah, and you 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 just made a light bulb go on my up my head. And why I'm perseverating on this this idea of defending the defenseless because she's defenseless, but these guys were not defenseless. Um, the overnighters, they mm. what they were was defeated. Ah, uh, okay. So he feels Jay feels like he's defending the defeated, but he uses the word defenseless, defenseless. and I that's where I disagree. Because okay, I, your example is right. Yeah. The overnighters, they're not invalids. Yeah. Some of them might have been defenseless. I'm not going to put a blanket statement on all of them. We don't know the situation for all of them. But a lot of them, like I said, they had the wherewithal to travel hundreds, thousands yeah. of miles to make a decision, um, to come in, try like, to open start their hearts, try and life. start anew. They admitted they needed help. Yeah. So they were defeated. Yeah. But they could stand up for themselves. Yeah. Let's take the one guy, for example. The one that had like the handlebar, not handlebar, but like the the mustache that goes like all the way down. Okay. Here. I don't know how to describe that. What is that? <laughs> the mustache guy. Anyway. The mustache guy. I don't remember his name. But when we see him in the film at the beginning, we think he's got it all together because he's like part of the crew that like does the um, take. Yeah. Like he'll he'll screen. Every, and we really like him at the beginning. We all like him. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, this place has turned my life around. Everything's been going great and yada, yada, yada. Right. So it's like the last third of the movie, we realize he has somehow stumbled. So um, the pastor, he ends up kicking this guy out and saying, sorry, you got to leave town. You can't be here anymore. And this guy takes it really hard. I'm done with you. It's hopeless. You brought me really close, pastor. Then you pull your crap. Alan. I don't want to hear nothing from you. I'm just stating the fact. You're egotistic. You lie to the congregation. You, you lie by deceit. You know, you're not a very good role model. You're a heck of a good teacher when you stand up there on a podium and talk. As far as watching you and how you live your life, I don't want no part of it. I don't want no part of that. I don't want no part of your God. Come in here and accuse me. You're my accuser. You're my judge. And now you're my enemy. That's really hard. Like, what did this guy look like before we first met him at the beginning of the film? Yeah. Where he did change his life. He, and he may he have was, been, yeah, he may have been saved by Jay. Right. And he probably, I think he says he was. Yeah. At some point earlier. Yeah. And now he's back on drugs. And I think he, I, I kind of excuse that scene, I think, hoping that he's slipped and he's forgotten. But I hope deep down he still has that love for what Jay did for him. Right. And I think that's how I would equate a lot of people who walk away from the church. Like, I hope at some point they realize the good that had come out of it in the first place and why they were going there and will eventually come back around to it. Hmm. I see how you twisted that there. No, that's just my honest, my honest thought. That's that should be the hope. Like, I think we all want to be on the right track. And I think we all want to be a functioning part of society and doing our part to help the world become a better place, right? Mm -hmm. But I also think we get thrown off by human actions and that becomes then our focal point of our anger and our distrust of a community or a system or something else. Sure. And then people spiral into a path of destruction and they lead destructive lives and get themselves hooked on substances or whatever to then deal with the pain that they feel. A sin or a, a crime, while it's real and it is a part of one's record, I would submit ought not be the definition of one's life. 
It, it kind of reminds me of the conversation we had, maybe it was Inception, where we each have like that one regret that really defines us. Mm. Do you think this is the same thing where those of us that are criminals or have committed like that one major sin earlier in our in our lives that we may or I suppose may not regret, does that define us? Because a lot of these overnighters, they, they couldn't seem to escape that nightmare of who they once were, hmm. even if they're the only ones judging themselves, which is kind of fascinating, right? Yeah. The community is judging them because they're outsiders, but they're not judging them for their specific actions because they didn't bother to get to know them. Right. Yeah. So they're fighting inner demons at that point, And their inner demons are related to them feeling like they're defined by yeah. something that they did bad a long time ago. I mean, I guess I think we've probably come a longer way on this topic than, say, like the early 1800s. Like, I'm just thinking of like Les Mis, mm -hmm. where he stole a loaf of bread and he was looked at as a criminal wherever he went. And when anybody found out who he was, that sin defined him. And I think a couple hundred years later, I do think we've turned a corner on that somewhat. I don't necessarily think we all would define somebody by a past crime. But I do think a lot of people may have a hard time forgiving themselves for something that they did, and they may carry that burden, even though others don't on yeah. their on themselves. Mm -hmm. That's, I guess, how I, what about you? Like, what would you think on that? Well, you know, I relate to that kind of like internal beating up. Yeah. And I think that's sort of part of the life process. I do think that that decision that they made is always going to be a part of them. And no, I'm not a criminal, but I relate to that internal struggle of having to deal with a decision that you have made earlier in your life that that came out of a person that that you may not even now really even relate to. Hmm. Well, no, that's not fair. You do relate to that person, but it's hard to reconcile because you wouldn't make the same. You wouldn't necessarily make the same decision today um, or you, you know, in some cases, these guys don't know why they made the decision that they did. So in a way, maybe I'm saying yes. Um, yes, those bad decisions is a big defining factor. Is it the single defining factor? No, no, we're way more complicated. Yeah. And I don't think we should be hung up on saying that you made one mistake when you were 17. You know, I stole a car. Now I'm a fat and I'm a thief. And am I a thief for the rest of my life? No, I don't believe that. But so what about the pastor himself? So he didn't commit a crime, but he states towards the very like almost like the very end of the movie that he struggles with same-sex attraction mm -hmm. and ends up resigning his position at the church now do you think he's going to torture himself with that till he dies and you know and feel like that was something like whatever it was whatever the mishap that he had well that mishap is part is it's not the single thing that defines him, but it is a thing that helps define him as an individual. And mm. he will have to wrestle and struggle with that until he finds some sort of resolution. And so maybe the encouragement I would give to these ex-criminals that are struggling is to try and see the rest of their life as equally okay. as they do that one bad thing, right? That okay. they're perseverating on. Yep, yep. Probably I'm telling myself that, I guess. <laughs> and I think you should. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, like you're very easy to let go, I think, to previous behaviors, right? Yeah. And I, I'm just not. Like I really think that that. Uh, there's a couple I would say 
that hang I around. I struggle. Yeah, I struggle. I have. A, I do have some struggles where it's really hard, but I think because- So will you agree that those things help define you as a person? No. Aren't the, obviously aren't the defining. No, but that's the whole thing is I don't think those things define me. Wow. I think those things- So going back to the supernatural realm, yeah. I think those are thoughts that are trying to be incepted into uh, me and I am rejecting them when they come in. Like okay. they'll start to bother me and then I'm like, wait a minute. No, I don't have to live in this and I reject it. Okay, we definitely see that differently. Yeah. But it's very interesting. Yeah. They're carrying burdens. Everybody is bearing a burden. Do you agree with that? Um. I guess it would be depending on how you define the word burden. Yeah. Because I would say... Because we we were just now talking about stuff that we can't let go of. And to me, that is... A burden. Part of a burden. But I was wondering, maybe from a more uh, Christian perspective... I would say the concept of of feeling burdened or hanging on to burdens. I don't feel like I have to hold on to anything from my past or from things that I've done wrong or any of that. But but how about community wise or neighborhood wise? Yeah. So, but I'm just saying, like the burden you feel. That's why I keep saying, why can't you just let go of it? Because I don't think that's a burden you have to feel. I think that's something you torture yourself with. And for some reason, you like it and you like torturing <laughs> yourself with it, which again, I don't get that. Because it's, yeah, and that's, that's where we're different. Because yes. to me, it's introspective and it's yes. what, what life is about. Right. And- so exactly. So that's where you, that's what you think life is about. For me, I think life is about bettering people through Christianity. Like I think if people can see Christianity the way that I do and live Christianity out the way that I do, that is the ultimate goal and that's my burden. But it's not a heavy burden. It's not like what you feel. It's just it's what keeps me going every day in life. Burden sounds like a bad word in that case, but yeah, it's not. No, I get it. You only think that because you think that my burden is a negative thing and I don't. I know. No, so, I get that now. Okay. I understand that after like us getting to know each other. I just don't understand why you would want that as a burden. So what about Pastor Jay's burdens? What were his burdens? Well, I think he ended up creating burdens through this whole process. I think he started out with the same burden that I had, but because the situation got so messy and instead of asking for help, or maybe he did and they just didn't describe that through the film. But I think because he tried so hard to put the weight of all of these problems on his own shoulders, he created a lot of burdens for himself, like the sex offender scandal and the same sex attraction scandal and people leaving his church and uh, elders being frustrated with him and all of these issues, the the men that turned on him and betrayed him. You're, you're naming obstacles, but I don't know that we've pinpointed his internal Well, I think they became burdens to him because now it's like, what does he do? He has to leave his church and he's going to suffer now with this whole thing of like, he failed in his ministry and he failed people that he loved. And I think those become burdens on his shoulder. Did he fail? I think he feels like he failed. I think actually, honestly, again, we don't know all the outcomes. So they said there were hundreds of men that passed through there. I'm going to guess... A number of them got good paying jobs and were only there for like yeah. a day I or bet two you he or a feels, few weeks. I bet you he feels he failed his family. Yeah. And and maybe his faith, but I I don't know if he feels he failed his well he said he, he said at the end he, he failed he failed his church. But yes, his church. I don't know about his faith. But I wouldn't 
go so far as saying that he failed his ministry. Yeah, I would agree. The Overnighters program. I think, you know, it it maybe crumbled and he had to stop doing it. But I think there may have been successes through the program through that time that like in the eyes of God, because we as people, we see only like the beginning, middle and end. But God sees like everything that happened. And there could have been a lot of things that happened in the time from the beginning to the end that I would consider success stories throughout, even if the ministry itself had to be shut down. Yeah. You said you you wish you had heard some of his sermons yeah. before, and I couldn't help wondering throughout the movie, or I was hoping throughout the movie that we could see some of his prayers or his personal conversations with God, because I really wanted to know what he hmm. was um, saying Yeah, back and forth that whole time. That would have been pretty It would have been very interesting to see. And I think, so going back actually to the movie Noah, there's also somebody who felt like they got in over their head, right? Like he's on the boat and he's thinking like, oh, this is too much and, you know, humanity's being destroyed. And I wonder if there was a point where this pastor fell out of what his ministry should have been or like mm-hmm. maybe his head got too big, like look at all I'm doing and look at all the great things that I'm doing and I'm helping people and whatever else. And the focus became on himself rather than on God. Yeah. So I wonder if that also played into the failure of this is that he I think he saw that in himself too I, yeah. which I appreciated so it wasn't like he was completely blind to his own yeah. fallacies you really have to struggle with what are my motives here maybe this is just more self-serving than what I realize maybe it's as simple as I don't say no very well and so it's easier to say yes and live with the consequences. What are your final thoughts on the film? We're not very good at being neighbors hmm. and accepting community. Something I think we all struggle with, defining it, accepting other people, feeling accepted ourselves. What makes this movie fascinating, I said it earlier, is that it did a great job of presenting different sides in a situation where there just was no happy outcome, I guess, or, or no real path forward. They couldn't find any like common ground. There was no wrong side. Yeah. And both sides wanted a community and both sides failed. Hmm. Well, that was happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of how I walked away from this movie, but I will say as sad as, as, as that is, it's a, uh, it's a gripping documentary mm-hmm. that I would recommend. I'm actually really looking forward to watching it uh, yet again. I, um, I felt sorry for Jay. I was really rooting for him. I was really hoping that uh, it was all going to work out for him. And it was really sad to see, but it happens a lot in ministry and it happens a lot to pastors. And there are a lot of pastors that get burned out from being at churches because a lot of things are put on their shoulders that they can't possibly manage alone. And I think a lot of times everybody expects the pastor to do everything at a church. And being a pastor's kid, I really understood his struggle and the stress that he felt and and trying to weigh everything and balance everything and and doing his ministry. And so it was definitely a really hard movie to watch. Like it slowly started to build up like you thought this was going to be a really great thing. And then it just like- and Then got, you see the reality of the situation yeah. and where they all yeah and that was hard for didn't me. come out on the top my heart really went out to him i felt really horrible for the way that this ended for him and that he put himself into the same predicament that 
these men who came to North Dakota were trying to get out of. Like he was now in the same pool as them, even though he was trying to help them get out of this situation. Never really felt like I belonged in Williston. I mean, the church, yeah, but as a community, not really. And I'll have every reason to remind me why I don't belong here. This is exactly where he should have been at this point in time. Yeah. And it was a lot of good that I mean, it's making us yeah. years later ponder and think about it. And I think it's I just think it's extremely important. And he absolutely belonged there at that time. But yeah. but maybe he was always an outsider and he was never really part of the community in the first place. Huh. If he had just moved there like years earlier or people just didn't like him. Anyway. I guess it doesn't matter how long he's been there. Maybe he just never was accepted. Yeah. That would make a little bit of sense because it certainly seemed like he craved having a congregation. Yeah. And he found it in the overnighters hmm. more so than he did in, in, his, in his own community. But I will not give in to despair because hopeless should never win. And hopeless is a lie. 